open your Bibles once again with me, if you will, to the book of Acts in the ninth chapter. Book of Acts, chapter 9. When last we were together, we looked at the passage of Scripture of this chapter where the Lord had spoken to a man named Ananias and told him to go to a place, to a street called Straight, go down to Straight Street to a home by, owned by a man named Judas, and there you're going to find a man named Saul of Tarsus. And I need you to go down there, and I need you to talk to him. If you remember, Ananias said, oh, wait a minute, Lord, I know who this guy is. This is Saul. He's, we've already heard, he, he, he was coming to Damascus to arrest all of us who are following you. And you want me to go down there and see him? And the Lord told him, when you get there, you'll, he basically told him, when you get there, you'll understand. He's waiting on you. Because we know that Saul had had that experience on his way to Damascus. And the Bible says uh, also that the Lord told Ananias, when you get there, you're going to find Saul, and he's going to be praying. And the whole thing we take from that passage about Ananias was Ananias had his doubts. Ananias may have had his uh, trepidations. But Ananias obeyed because he was close to God. We know he was close to God because the Bible just didn't say there was a man named Ananias. The Bible says there was a disciple named Ananias. So Ananias went, we saw, was obedient. Verse 17, he goes down there and he goes in the room, he goes in the house and he says, Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And those, if you remember, Saul, after he had encountered the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had been blind since that point. And he had been, he'd been without sight for three days. And Ananias not only went and spoke to Saul... But this man who he still was probably wondering if he was really there to arrest him went up all the way up to him and laid his hands on him just like the Lord said. And the Bible told us that Saul's vision was restored. It's like he, the Bible describes it as like scales falling from his eyes. And he regained his sight. And immediately he got up and was baptized. Then he took food and he was strengthened. And that's where we left off. This begins the, the ministry of my biblical hero. You guys know me. I talk about it all the time. Paul, the Apostle Paul is my, is my main guy. I love, this, I love his writing. I love... You know, thinking that I can hear, I can almost hear his voice when I read 
what he writes. He, and, and of course, it's, it is the words of the Lord coming through him. But these next, this next section is, you know, things weren't always rosy for Saul, soon to be Paul. But you know, without Saul, we don't have half or more of the New Testament. We don't have all those churches that God uses him to plant. We don't have a lot of the, the, the we don't have the beginnings of the ministry to the Gentiles without, not only Saul, but without that, we saw without that obedient man named Ananias. That's where we left off, and we're going to begin reading at verse 19. What's interesting about verse 19 is that in, in the middle of verse 19 is really a paragraph break. There, it was almost like the verses needed to be uh, kind of numbered a little bit differently because verse 19 begins, and he took the food and was strengthened. But we begin reading right after that where the Bible says, Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately... He began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed, and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. Stop just right there. Paul was a Jew of the Jews. He was, he was the prototype. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, now they're plotting to get rid of him. Continue at verse 24. But their plot became known to Saul... And they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, remember Barnabas, encouraging Barnabas here, Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. So many great lessons and themes and things we could take out of that passage of Scripture but in the overall big view here, let me just think about this. What has happened to Saul? You guys uh, ever watch, I don't know, it may still come on TV now. You used to watch the television show uh, 
Extreme Makeover Home Edition. I, I don't know where, somewhere along the way I quit watching it. Uh, and they may still run. I don't know if it's still on TV now or not. You know, that they would uh, pick these, um, these families who were in dire need that their home may be uh, either about to fall down around them or they had a family member who had special physical needs and they just just needed a remodel. They just needed something different. And they would come in and it was always fascinating to me how they'd get this large group of people together and in the course of about seven days they'd either, they could tear down and rebuild or remodel or, or do overhaul these, these people's homes and turn it into uh, something fantastic. Some of those stories were just amazing. Of course, every once in a while I'd watch one of those and think, how can you take this somebody who was, take a family who was barely making ends meet, who couldn't pay the bills as it was, and then give them a 4,000 square foot home, and one, I just wonder how in the world they were ever going to afford to heat and cool it from that point forward. But, you know, that's just the, that, that's, I guess that's the man side of my brain going on there. But nevertheless, it was amazing what they would do to some of those, with, for some of those families and do with some of those homes. But you know what's even more amazing? Is the makeover that has happened to Saul. He has experienced for sure an extreme makeover. And just like were those, in those shows where they would take these homes and turn them into something that any one of us would be proud to live in, they were completely falling apart. These homes that were complete disasters. What has the Lord Jesus Christ done to Saul? He has taken Saul the, he, he was Saul the pariah. He was, he was Saul the, the hated. He was Saul the feared. And he has turned him into a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Saul has received a makeover and God has moved in. A complete makeover. And of course, how does that happen? Saul is here, what we see in him is the perfect picture of repentance. We use that word a lot, but sometimes do we forget what it means. The biblical uh, uh, repentance, what does biblical repentance really look like? Well, it, it, it means at least two things. One, it means to have a change of mind. We thought he used to think one way. Now he's thinking a different way. I've heard it described as being a complete 180 degree turn. And, and, and essentially it is. It is the word repentance, the, the, the Greek word uh, metanoia is to, to turn away from. In, in military terms, it was used to describe, that, that, that word metanoia was used to describe when a soldier was marching in one direction and they would do that about face. Sometimes people say, well, I've, re I've repented of that. Have you done an about face and turned your back on it? That's repentance. But Saul here has done an about face. He is no longer about killing the church. He's no longer about arresting and bringing Christians bound back to the high priest. He's no longer about those things. He's turned his back on those things. He's gone from overseeing the stoning of Stephen to preaching the gospel. 
Let me ask you a question. Have you ever known anyone that's had that kind of change in their life? Have you ever known someone who come, who you said, oh yeah, did, did you hear about so-and-so? They got saved. Did you ever sit back and go, yeah, we'll wait and see. Sure you have. Well, I think we've all been there. And sometimes you find out, well, yeah, wasn't real. But you know, why do we doubt what God can do to somebody? when he decides to make them over? God decides to make a life anew. I mean, we, 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 use, the ver- we use the verses, we'll say, with, with God all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, so can any, anyone else. And we see it in the life of Saul. So, and, and the thing I want us to uh, take from this morning and looking at this long passage of Scripture as a, uh, in, in one chunk is what are some things to remember about when God moves in and does a makeover in someone's life? What, what about when God moved in and made, did a makeover in your life? If you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been made over. You, you, got, you got remade. The Bible is completely clear that we've been born again. That's a picture of starting all over, being recreated. You've been made anew. And so the first thing I wanted you to remember is this. When God makes over someone, they had to start from somewhere. They had to start from somewhere. And no one starts from any lower depths of society or any or whatever you want to describe it, then Saul started. When God calls us, he calls us from where we are. Well, there's this, there's this misnomer amongst people today that think, well, I've got I to gotta pull myself up out of the ditch, and I've got to clean myself up, and then God can do something with me. No, God wants to do makeovers on us exactly where, we, where he finds us, exactly where we're at. And Saul was at the uh, he, he, was in the, he was deep in the valley. He was, I mean, when Jesus comes to him, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was attacking the Lord through his church. It's just like, and again, the picture of the new birth. You know, when a, when a baby is born, boy, it's, uh, that, that's, where, that's where life starts. And we don't, we don't start out walking and talking. We have to grow into that. And when we're born again, we, we start from where God found us. And, we, and it's a start over. People were doubting Saul. Of course they were. Because they knew where he was, where he had been. But when God decides to do a makeover It doesn't matter where 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 we he finds us and where he he picks us up from because we all started from somewhere. I tell you, before we each of us were saved, we all started on a road to a place called hell. So and so's journey might not look as bad as somebody else's, but they were all leading to the same place.
So that also reminds us that as we think about the song we just sang, finding that just one more soul. It doesn't matter where they're at. It doesn't matter where we find them. They just need to be found. Because there's always going to be someone else who needs to hear the gospel. There's always going to be someone else who needs to be ministered to. And it doesn't matter where they're at. Everybody starts from somewhere. Just like Saul did. And don't be afraid of where God points you toward to find that next soul that needs to hear the gospel. We all start from somewhere. Secondly, when God calls us, we must not forget where we came from. Don't forget where we came from. But that doesn't mean we let where we came from or we don't, don't let our roots hold us back. Now why do I say that? Why do I say don't forget where you came from? Because it's this. When God picks us up and he saves us and he knocks the dirt off and he cleans us up and he changes us, it's really easy for us to get prideful and go, look at me. I'm a Christian now. I've got it all going on. I'm, I'm heaven bound. I'm good to go. You know what that is? That's pride. I don't need to associate with those folks anymore. I, I, I'm saved now. I'm glad someone didn't think of that about me before they would come and share the gospel with me. Don't forget our... In other words, we got to remember that. Yeah, that's where I was. Now let me... Who can I go rescue from that same place? Got to be on the lookout for pride. You know, the Bible talks a lot about pride. The book of Proverbs warns us about pride. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 2 reminds us that proud men end in shame. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10 reminds us that pride leads to arguments. And Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5 reminds us pride disgusts the Lord. In Acts, or excuse me, not Acts, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul will write to the church there, the church at Ephesus, about this idea of, of pride. He will tell them in Acts chapter 4, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness. The King James, I think, uses the word meekness. And that is the opposite of pride. It is de defined as the opposite of pride. Remember where you came from. But don't let it hold you back. Let it humble you, but don't let it hold you back. Because you know what? We all came from somewhere. We all started somewhere. It doesn't matter where we start when the Lord picks us up and knocks the dust off of us and changes us into something greater. We all have roots. But what, the, what we do from that point on is what matters, what the Lord does with us and what we allow him to do with us. I used to, I used to wrestle with the, with the idea that, or, you know, not wrestle, but kind of struggle with the idea that, you know, as a, as a teenager, 
I, it's when I first made my surrender to the ministry, but I was in my 30s before I was finally there. And someone finally set me down one day and said, but you're here now. So quit focusing on what you didn't do and focus on now what God wants to do with you. And it was just like, it was a, it was a, it was a light bulb situation time. I was like, you're right. Let's move forward. God said this to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, he said, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. God wants us to learn the lessons of the past, but he also wants us to keep moving forward. And that's what Saul did. He had to start somewhere. But then he began to move forward. I love verse, as you begin reading down through this, people begin, like at verse 21, the people in Damascus saying, wasn't he the guy up in Jerusalem who was going around and, you know, uh, uh, getting rid of people like us? You know, Paul, I'm, I'm, Saul, he, I'm sure he's hearing the, the murmuring behind his back. Sometimes people think that us preachers, we don't hear the murmuring behind our back. But we do. But this is why I love, this is why I love Paul, because what would verse 22 say? It's okay. Paul says, Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews. And when he, that Bible says that he was confounding the Jews. What does it mean? He just kept on preaching. He just kept on speaking. And they just kept on murmuring. And he just kept on preaching because he knew where he'd come from, but he didn't let it hold him back. Yeah, he started from somewhere, and he didn't. For, he, he's not going to forget it. And if you, as you down through the scriptures, later in the book of Acts, he's standing. He's he's on trial. He's being in, in uh, 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 examined before. Uh, the King Agrippa, and he's, he's going to tell him, hey, I used to be the one persecuting the church. He's not going to forget it, but he's not going to let him hold him back. Well, when God makes a makeover on someone, just remember, all of us, we came from somewhere. Don't forget where we come from, but don't let it hold you back. And don't try to hold someone else back because of where they come from. Don't doubt what God can do with anybody. And thirdly, well, when God does a makeover, you know, unfortunately, persecution will come. Persecution will come. When God calls, there will be days of persecution. Yeah, there will be days of peace and contentment. You see glimpses of that. You see glimpses of that in this passage that Paul... I keep saying Paul, he's not, he's, we're not there yet. He's not Paul yet. Saul, he's, he's spending time with the disciples there in, in Damascus. Looks peaceful. Looks like things are comfortable. But of course, things turn. Verse, I mean, didn't take long. Verse 23, and when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted to do away with him.
So those that, that he had been associating with, the disciples there in Damascus, we read, they get him out of town. Well, this just becomes a, a pattern for, for his life, doesn't it now? He, he gets people riled up, and he has to get out of town. And then he gets to uh, a verse, uh, then he gets down to Jerusalem. Verse 26, got to Jerusalem. He rolls into town. He says, I'm going to look up the Christians. I'm going to, and this is how it would be, this is how this works. This is the vernacular of today, or this is how this would look today. I'm rolled into a new town. Got to find me a church. And he walks in, First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, and they all go, <gasps> not that guy. I don't think so. We don't need him here. We know about that guy. Why, that guy was from down the road. We read about him in the paper. We saw his picture a month ago on Facebook. We saw him on the news. And we don't need him here in this place. Barnabas says, wait a minute. You don't understand. This man has met Jesus. This man has had a makeover. This man on the road to Damascus was blinded, spent three days blind, waited on the one who God said would come and touch him and remove the scales from his eyes, and it happened. And he stood up and he began preaching Jesus, and he began preaching the gospel, and he began preaching what God showed him to be true. And he's been driven out of town, out of Damascus. Oh yeah, he's the real deal. Thank goodness... Barnabas comes along and puts his arm around him and says, no, I'm standing by my brother. Why? Because God can make over anybody. God can make over any situation. God can take anybody from any depths and bring them into his service. Well, it seemed to, seemed to work, right? Verse 28 he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. He's back. He's, he's preaching. He's teaching. He's doing what God told us, has called him to do. Didn't last long, though, because he goes and he engages with the Jews. And they say, no, this guy's got to go. This guy's done fell off the wagon. This guy's done on the jump the rails, whatever term you want to put to it. We've got to get rid of him. So, what does the Bible say? Well, the brethren, that is the church, they got him out of town. Got him to Caesarea, and then he sent him away to Tarsus. Which I find interesting, because I'm thinking the folks in Tarsus probably aren't going to be too happy to see him either. That's where he lived. That's where he was from. In verse 31 says, so the church went throughout all Judea and Jumbaba, and he just he says, um, you know, things got peaceful because they got rid of Saul left town. 
And I, and, I, and I read that verse and I scratch my head. I think, yeah. Why was there peace in the church? They got, they got rid of the problem child? Because they run Saul out? You can read that verse and go, the church got rid of the preacher who was stirring up a mess and now they're all happy. Well, you don't have to throw a stone very far today to find instances of that happening. But that's not, I don't think that's what is meant here. I think the church was at peace. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, not because necessarily because Saul was gone, but because Saul wasn't supposed to be there. It wasn't where he was going to minister. Uh, if you, you know, God, um, the Lord had already told Ananias back in verse 15 that he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the sons of Israel. So he's done that. He's gone into Jerusalem. He said his peace, but the Lord has bigger plans for him and so he's got to go from he's got to leave Jerusalem he's got to leave there his ministry is somewhere else so what we take from this you know when God makes us over it's easy to think alright God's in control now well life's going to be peachy keen life's going to be better roses I'm going to be doing what God wants me to do and it's just all going to go smooth. And if you've been serving the Lord for 12 seconds or longer, you know that that's just not the truth, is it? Oh, there's a lot of joy. But there are a lot of long days. There are a lot of sleepless nights. There is just a lot of tiredness sometimes. There's a lot of of, uh, thankless hours sometimes. But not all the time. Because there's a lot of joy in serving God. There's a lot of joy in doing what the Lord's called you to do. And here's the thing. When you decide to serve the Lord, when the Lord makes someone over, when the Lord makes you over, when the Lord changes you, when you start start walking down that path, you're going to get persecuted. Why? Because Satan's going to have you right in his crosshairs. You are target number one you want to get Satan off your back quit serving you want to get Satan off your back tell God no you want to get Satan off your back quit showing up here you want to get Satan off your back you say you know God I ain't got time nope God not going there nope God nope not, not going to do it you'll get Satan off your back real quick you're going to have the Holy Spirit on your case. I'd rather have Satan on my back because the Bible tells me that he who is in me is bigger than he who is in the world. And I can put on the armor of God and I can defeat, I can can fend off the slings and arrows of Satan. Bottom line is this, we're not defeated unless we give up. 
Persecution might come, but it only beats you if you give up. You know, we live in a world today full of quitters. It's an unfortunate reality. We have this saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, but it's, it, that really doesn't describe people today. There's a lot of people today that when the going gets tough, we find a way out. People quit in the workplace. It's surprising how many people will quit their job and then blame God for not having provisions for their family. Families quit on each other. Parents quit on their children and children quit on their parents. And people quit on the church. People quit on the church because, you know what? Guess what? God put a bunch of imperfect people in the church. He didn't put them in the church. That's what he made the church out of, is a bunch of imperfect people. And by the way, every one of them, he dropped an imperfect pastor in, their, in place to oversee it. And he dropped a bunch of imperfect deacons into them and a bunch of imperfect Sunday school teachers. Because he made the church up of imperfect people. And when the reality of our imperfectness comes to light, some people just quit. You and I, we live in a complex world. Pressures from every direction. But we're not defeated unless we give up and quit. And that's probably why I latch on to the life of Paul so much. Twice here, in a very short bit of time, he's been run out of town in fearing for his life. And what does he do the next time he rolls into town? He picks right back up and he says, gotta find me somewhere to preach. Gotta find me somewhere to serve. He's in the Philippian jail preaching to the Preaching to the people in the prison, preaching to the jailers, preaching, preaching, preaching till the wall, till the till the ground shook and the door flung open. He's in house arrest, writing to the Philippians, writing the book of Philippians, writing to them. He's under house arrest, and you can hear the joy in his voice going, I'm gonna go see Caesar. Because he's he's got a chance to go deliver the gospel to the top of the Roman Empire. Happy to be there. When he writes, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. Sometimes it's figurative, meaning that I am bound to God. Sometimes it was literal. He was in prison when he wrote. Persecution didn't stop him. When the Duke of Wellington returned from England after defeating Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo, Keeney's men, they were met with praise and cheer for their perseverance. They were admired and admonished for their ability to stay in the battle until it was won. The Duke of Wellington said, that army of Napoleons, they were men of great courage. But in my opinion, my men had just five more minutes of courage than his did. You know, 
just five more minutes of courage or perseverance might be enough for that one more soul that we sung about. When God makes us over, we all start from somewhere. Don't forget where you come from, but don't let it hold you back. And when persecution comes, and know that it will, don't quit. Don't give up. Press on. Hang on. Have that five more minutes of courage. That five more minutes of perseverance. Now, I've used this term makeover in the context mainly of our initial makeover. But you know, there's been, as we go through life sometimes, God still needs to make us over. He still needs to change our direction sometimes. Don't be afraid to let him do that. Because you know, you might be at a place right now and God wants to still make you over. Let him. Let him have his way. If God doesn't make over Saul, if Saul resists, if Ananias doesn't obey, look at everything we don't have. We don't have half the New Testament. We don't have the beginnings of the ministry to the Gentiles. And you could tell me, well, if, if Paul had said, no, God had chosen somebody else, he may have, but let me tell you, it wasn't his plan. And when God calls, he calls because that's his plan. Let, let him make us over. Let him have his way. And when the persecution comes, when the doubt comes, when the, when the, the, the murmuring comes, when all that comes, do as Paul did. Keep pressing on. As he wrote to the Philippians, I press on to the mark. I press on to the goal and keep gaining strength. Why? Because there's, again, there's always one more person that needs to hear the gospel. There's always one more person that needs to be ministered to. And you just might be the one that God wants to make over to make that happen. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for the first makeover you did in my life. And I'm thankful for the times when I look back and I could see you were making me over again. It may have been a, when you changed the calling on my life. It may have been when you put me through a trial. It may have been when the enemy attacked and I learned from it. Whatever it was you used, I'm thankful that you did it. And help us to know that no matter where we're at, where anybody is at, you can take a person and make them over. You can take Saul of Tarsus and turn him into Paul the Apostle. You can do anything with any of us. 
And I thank you that you're that kind of loving, forgiving, and all-powerful God. The Lord, speak to us. Show us what you want to do with us. And may we be obedient to that you make us over when we need to. And Father, we ask that you use us perhaps to start the makeover in someone else's life by sharing that life-changing message of the gospel. I ask these things this morning now in Jesus' name. Amen.